The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Shiny. Welcome to Generations Geek, a family-friendly celebration of geekdom by father-daughter street urchins. I'm Scott Pearson, and this is my daughter, Narice. Hello. And we are two generations of geek. This is episode six, Night of the Living Geeks, and we'll be talking once again with our very special first guest ever, Una McCormack. This is part two of our chat with Una, and we'll be talking about Star Trek, Doctor Who, The Life of a Writer, Peter Jackson's movies, Benedict Cumberbatch, Sherlock, and Elementary. Let's do a quick introduction for any listeners who haven't heard the first show. Una McCormick is a writer in Cambridge, England. She's written several Star Trek novels published by Simon & Schuster and has also done two Doctor Who novels featuring the 11th Doctor. Una has remained active in fan fiction since going pro and teaches creative writing at Anglia Ruskin University in Cambridge. So now, let's rejoin our interview, already in progress. Do you think that you'll get to do other Doctor Who print novels? I would really like to. I, I mean, I've, I've got a sort of permanent sort of ask, ask me if there's anything coming up, um, a call out there. Of course, it's the big anniversary of the year this year. So um, the yes. production was, uh, well, it's not been on air. So, um, you know, the, the pattern of production uh, was a bit different. And then they've got lots of other kind of big high profile things lined up and they get high profile authors for that kind of thing. They're doing a series of um, children's books, for example, that they've got quite well established children novelists do so i'd love to do more and um, hopefully they will they will ask me otherwise i'll just you know do another one of my letters dear doctor who <laughs> put it in the letterbox <laughs> yes but but you're also getting the big finish work too so even if you don't get a print novel you've been able to work in the it, uh, in the who universe exactly there. yeah so so really good fun so um I, I i don't really have a master plan i don't know about you i just sort of um i i i say oh it might be fun to do this then I uh, give that a go and, and sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't I'm quite bad at planning things uh, which is how I ended up writing Star Trek books and teaching writing that wasn't really the plan. kind of good fun so uh, yeah yes I, I don't have any plan either and to my uh, chagrin I think that I uh, don't get as much done as I should to keep my writing career on track but I'm I'm trying to do a number of things this year to to keep things moving and and get some uh, some stories out there. Uh, over this weekend, I'm going to be doing a lot of work on a story for the Redeus anthologies. I'm are you familiar with those? No, only when you mentioned them. So yeah, yeah. So they're a they're a shared universe anthology that is set in a world where essentially all the gods of the past have come back. Oh, that's quite So Zeus is back, you know, Native American gods are back. All of the various gods that people have worshipped through history Mm. have very prominently returned to the world and demanded to be worshipped. Right. And so the world is is incredibly changed uh, because of people sort of um, having to, sort of being forced almost to worship their uh, historical gods, depending on the person's ethnicity. And also some of these gods don't allow modern technology to completely function within their 
their realms. And so you have sort of pockets around the world that are more or less as they normally are. And then there are other places that have reverted to almost a medieval kind of level of technology. Yeah. And there's been one anthology published, and I had a story in that that told the story of a knight of the uh, Templar Order who is miraculously brought back to life in this changed world. And then there's a uh, a couple more coming out this year. And so I'm uh, working on some stories for that that I hope will be included as well. And so that's fun. That's one of my major projects right now. And then I'm working on a novel outline that I hope will go somewhere. But, you know, there's... There are never guarantees in this business. Yeah, it's really hard, isn't it? Yeah, and you sort of, it's it, it's really hard work writing a novel. And I, I think it's, um, and, and quite hard work writing a novel outline and to feel that there's not a guaranteed place for it. It's hard to find time to do it, I think, um, or to it justify is. it. Fortunately, my job, part of my job now means I, I have to be publishing. So it's part of my remit is that I have to be writing books. So I, I've kind of got a, I've, I've got that sort of compulsion now or that, that reason to do it. But finding the time and it, it's really hard. I mean, I know it's not coal mining and I know it's not you know, uh, <laughs> building bridges yeah. or anything. But, it, you know, you really, uh, and, and I think it's, uh, it demands a lot of graft. You're constantly, you, you constantly feel like you're writing quite badly. And, and then things start to come together and you get in the groove. But there's, a, there's long periods of time where you just think you're sitting there typing and going, this really is rubbish. <laughs> I've just got to <laughs> keep this rubbish coming and, and just hope that, that something will start to gel and the flow will come. So it's um, And to keep the kind of energy and enthusiasm up for a project can be, can be quite hard, I think. Yeah, particularly when you're meant to be watching Serenity. And, um, <laughs> the exactly. Invisible, <laughs> incredible you're always help. trying to... You're trying to find that balance yeah. where you get to read things and watch things. Yeah. And and this is something that is very important to the creative process. Mm. You you have to be experiencing these things that other people are doing. Yep. And so especially if you're in a position where you have a day job. Yeah. And then you're trying to write on your weekends and evenings and you're trying to keep up with what's going on in your particular genre by reading the books or watching the films. It, Mm. it, so much of it comes down to just simple time management. Yeah. And I think that that's one of my great weaknesses as a writer is just managing the time and making sure that you stay focused on, on a project uh, when there are so many things around you that can distract you because you think about you know, updating your Facebook status. And yeah, or Twitter about, really is and my Twitter and, and, great time you know, to think, yeah. Dusting your bookshelves or something. Exactly, there's, there's, yes. there's so much that needs to be done. Yeah, has absolutely crucial. <laughs> and and all this loses writing time. And, um, and there are things that you can do quite easily, but writing you need to kind of, you need the energy and you need to sit down and you need to, we have a hard life, don't we? It's terrible. <laughs> Sitting there, staring at the screen. Yeah, until our eyes bleed. <laughs> <laughs> so, Norris, did you have anything to pop in here? Because I really feel like uh, <laughs> we're leaving you kind of on the uh, outside over there. How's the Deep Space Nine 
rewatch going. Are you at the end now? Do, have you watched? I finished it. it. Oh, uh, wow. this summer I watched all of it. Oh, fantastic! Just a few months. Yeah, it was it's, great. It's the best Star Trek, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it is. Isn't it's it? quite good. <laughs> have you made it all the way through Voyager yet? No. Um, I think I'm on. Well, I can check what season I'm on. I think I'm on like seven. And then after Voyager, you're going to go back to Next Generation. Yeah. Um, and then after that, are you going to go back to the original series? That's what I'm thinking. Because you haven't... Like, uh, yeah, and especially during during the school year, I can't just blow through one series in yeah. three months. Yeah. She's also been uh, working her way through MASH. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Oh, it's yes. a long time since I've seen MASH. It's not been on television over here for years. And you're in season, what, eight or nine of MASH? Um, nine now. Yeah. And we've, um, yeah, that's been fun. Every once in a while I sit down and watch an episode or two with her, and I haven't, some of that stuff I haven't seen since it was originally broadcast, because I was yeah. a big fan when it was originally on. And so that's been interesting. The other thing that's really interesting about watching it is... I did used to watch it a lot when it was in syndication, but then you never saw the episodes in order. Yeah. And so when I when I peek in on what she's watching, you're always seeing it in the, in yeah. the right progression. Yeah. And then you really become aware of, of how the actors and the characters changed over the years. Oh, I'd love to see that. I really love Alan Alda. I'm a big fan of The West Wing as well. Uh, and he's in that towards the end. He's fantastic in it. Um, so, oh, I must see Mesh again. How long did it run for? How many seasons does it have? I think it was 11. Yeah. I, okay. 10 or 11. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's really good. Have you seen Babylon 5 yet, Narice? Or, um... Ah, right. Okay. <laughs> and actually... think, no, no, not after Deep Space. It's like the reverse of me, isn't it? <laughs> well, and for me, I... Uh... I tried to watch uh, Babylon 5 when it was originally on, and it, it just didn't grab me. I'm always tempted to go back and give it another try. I think it's worth a look. I, I imagine it probably looks quite dated now because the, the CGI is really new at the time. And so you get kind of big blocks of color. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, right, that's a spaceship is that big block of pink. Um, <laughs> but... Um, uh, and I think maybe, I wonder if you bounced off it because we're so used to TV space opera being Trek and feeling like Trek, and it really, really doesn't. It feels like its own thing. Um, I don't know. I um, I will admit to one Trek-related bias about it. I read an interview, because there was a bit of, there was definitely some competition between the, the shows. Yeah. yeah. And I read an interview with someone from Babylon, they were talking trash about Star Trek. And that really put me off because yeah. I've, I've, I've never really followed that either or kind of thing. It's, you know, the yeah. Star Trek or Star Wars or, you know, yeah. Deep Space Nine or Babylon 5. You yeah. know, there's room for all of these franchises. Yeah. Actually, I just remembered it was, they were making fun of Star Trek aliens. Yes, yeah. Because, you know, they were kind of making the joke about, oh, over on, on Star Trek, they just put some bumps on someone's forehead and they're an alien. You know, we, we really make, you know, full, big aliens. Yeah. And, and my immediate response to that was, well, what about the race that's just got like the little roll bar on the back of their head? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's exactly. all they had. 
we do that, that as well. We just do bumps and stuff. You, you know, it's, <laughs> so it's like uh, to be realistic yeah. on a on a weekly television show. Yeah, you, you can't make completely otherworldly creatures for every alien well, species. Well, how do we know that on um, if there's life on other planets that they're not basically of human structure? Yeah, and, and yeah, it's yeah. you know yeah. it's uh, to to me it doesn't make much difference. And and yes, if you just took a bunch of pictures of some of the Star Trek aliens over the years, certainly there have been times where uh, the the rush of weekly production. <laughs> <laughs> put them in a corner and they and they really did a shorthand of just putting some sort of forehead uh, makeup yeah. on but you, you can't have every extraterrestrial be a completely cgi completely alien creature yeah. every time at some point it's just becomes it's just a metaphor you know exactly yeah you, yeah. you, you give them some little extra thing to set them apart Yep. And then you just go with it. So Yeah, except that. Yep. Um yeah, I I mean it's it's worth a look. So uh, uh but um uh, it, it would be interesting because I think it I think it's quite dated now Babylon 5, but it does it has exactly the thing that Trek has, which is characters you get very invested in and these arcs that you get quite absorbed in. Um ah, but that's no, but you were never never a viewer. That's interesting. Never okay. pulled me in. Yeah. I never, I never really pulled into the uh, Stargate uh, franchise either. No, I avoided that. that because that I went to the original film in the theater when it was released, and uh, I thought that that original film, I, I just thought it was awful. Yeah. It made no sense to me that there's some sort of super alien race that has all this amazing technology, and yet they rely on slave labor on earth. Yep. So it, I never really had much interest in watching the series. Although I think yep. this is one of those situations where when I've seen scenes here and there over the years, I think the series are actually probably better than that movie in many ways, but yeah, it still just never drew me in enough. And I was daunted by the idea of 10 seasons. I thought, Oh no, I can't not 10 seasons. I can't even, think of that <laughs> other things i have to be doing rather than watch you know a thousand episodes of stargate or whatever it is so uh no i i never i never got into that one either i think there was um when i was during the 80s there was so little science fiction and then i think it must have been twin peaks and then the x-files and all of a sudden there's just so much and you you just can't you can't watch it all so um so i kind of pick and choose now i get friends to watch things and and recommend it and um usually usually they're quite good at uh, picking out stuff i'll like i've got pickier as i've got older as well really grumpy and you know and, <laughs> and usually i think well really what i want to do is just either watch new doctor who or else rewatch deep space 9 so uh, which is a bit I don't know. I'm like some old lady in my rocking chair. No, I don't want anything new. So much better when it was deep space time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, and yeah, you just run out of time. So, um, but I will always, or I'm go, I'll always go out and see a Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings or Hobbit movie. So um, uh, I'll be, I'll be out there. Now you guys had a mixed reaction to the Hobbit, didn't you? Yes. He had a mixed in, reaction. In fact. Oh, did you like? I. It? I love it so much right <laughs> it definitely it has its faults but all movies that are made from books are gonna have faults and so yeah. i just overall 
And it's yep. also I've said I've said this I said I'm I'm saying this a lot, but um I watched the cartoon version of The Hobbit all oh. the time when I was little, and so any sort of visual adaptation, I think I'm just gonna there's I'm I'm extremely biased too. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I've never seen the cartoon. Is it fun? Is it good? Fun? Yeah, it's great. Oh, it's yeah. fabulous. It's it's very much. Um, no, I it, know what you're gonna say. It didn't. Ha- well, it's. <laughs> He's gonna say, and that was a fabulous adaptation of The Hobbit, and that was only ninety minutes. I've I've got his well, speech yes. down. Well, I, I wasn't gonna say that at this particular <laughs> moment, but uh, uh, I was just gonna say that that one is uh, unabashedly a kids' movie. It didn't yep. face the additional challenge that Peter Jackson faced in trying to make it, yeah, make it more of an adult. Because The Hobbit is definitely it's it's I mean it's written for Tolkien's kids. Yeah, and so. the animated version. Yeah, so for for a kid's adaptation of a kid's novel, yeah, it, it's fabulous. I I love it. I love the, uh, I, I even love the the kind of cheap TV animation quality yeah. of it. <laughs> I think just works perfectly, and there's some great casting in there. The voice actors are amazing because they got really like name actors. They didn't go cheap. Yeah. On, on on a lot of the voice casting, which sometimes happens, and so it's it's a very satisfying version overall. Uh, but then one of my concerns for Peter Jackson's production was that he was going to be in a position where he was going to have to try to make it more adult to fit in yeah. with the Lord of the Rings, and I think that for me part of the problem with it was the uneven way that he tried to get them in sync but but yeah. i think that was the right decision to make to, yeah. to 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 make it more thematically and and like the tone of it to make it more in line with lord of the rings i think that was the right way to go i think it has a much um i think it has a much uh stronger sense of good-heartedness than than the lord of the rings which um the Jackson adaptation. I, I really love Fellowship. I think that's a wonderful adaptation. Then I have problems with the other two movies. Um, but The Hobbit, I I thought had this really good heart about it. That it it um, I, I don't know if it's something to do with Martin Freeman's performance, which is so lovely, isn't he lovely? Martin's um, perfect. There's just something very matter of fact, decent about him. The 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 kind of he's he's bringing out everything that's lovely about Bilbo, uh, and very very touching when. Um, so the whole really pivotal scene where he's he's stuck behind Gollum with the ring on and trying to decide whether to kill him or not. And it's that whole moment where the whole, almost like the balance of Middle Earth is hanging there once you know the, the wider story. And he gives that decency and good heartedness. And I think somehow that kind of um, pervades the whole film and it has a real warmth to it that I think he's bringing to it. And that's very hobbity for me, I think. Yes, um, I, I, I think that Freeman is, was perfect casting. Uh, yeah. I think that the entire Golem sequence, for me, oh, is perfect. The yeah, best scene in the film. Without, uh, for me, there's really no competition for another. And probably, scene. probably the best scene in the franchise so far. Better than anything in the um, the first three movies, actually. Now that I'm thinking of the, the like Star Wars films, I just think of it as a six fran- film franchise. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, both. Circus and Freeman in that scene are at their peak. Especially when when um when Gollum like turns around 
and he's got, you know, he's got those big eyes, and he looks, he looks, I mean, he's more of Smeagol in that he's just, like, confused, and, like, he doesn't know what to do, and he's scared of the orcs, and you, you, you really feel yeah. pity for him. That's yeah. the thing. He's also, he's also, like... Cause if, if it loses, we eat it whole. Like, <laughs> but it's like, yes, I will kill you and I will eat you. But I'm also this adorable little creature that doesn't really know what yeah, to do. With you itself. see yeah. this, you see this sad, ancient, very frail creature that the ring has made him, and you feel really, yeah, he's just looking round, isn't he? And it's sort of terror, and he kind of knows that. Well, if the ring's gone, I'm really, really stuffed. <laughs> you know, so yes, there'll have to be some lifestyle changes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see, yeah, but you really see that pain and fragility, and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's an inherently tragic character, and and the 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 thing that the movies have done really well at is making you see both sides of the coin. You yeah, know, that he he is at this point an incredibly vile and evil creature. Yeah, but of course he is carrying these hundreds and hundreds well, of and years there are two of baggage parts to him too because there's yeah. like the golem part that the ring has made him turn into this twisted like evil thing and then there's also the yeah. smeagol part which is still just like this innocent little sort of like hobbit creature that doesn't yeah. like is scared and just wants like to be like wanted like he's like he, um especially in uh the lord of the rings when he sort of becomes he's um traveling with uh frodo and sam and when he's Smeagol, all he wants to do is make Frodo happy. You have to be able to believe that people would feel sympathy for him. You have to buy that a character would not kill him. Yes. And I, and I think that in both movies they captured that, that it's, it's very complex. But you, you, as a viewer, understand why someone could be overcome with sympathy for this evil creature. Yeah, uh, because there is there are all those layers to the performance, yeah. and so yeah, that riddles in the dark in the in the film is uh, fabulous. And I, I, for me, if more of the scenes had captured the original like that scene did, I would be mm. much more fond of the film. Yeah, uh, but there, some of the scenes where. Jackson diverged the most from the novel mm. really kind of put me off and not because I don't want there to be any divergences for instance in the Lord of the Rings mm. uh, many of the scenes with uh, Arwen that were created or you know from scratch or added in yeah I, I was perfectly satisfied with you know having Arwen be the the elf at the uh, Fords. Yeah, that's great. It's a great way of introducing That was him. a great yeah. way to bring that character in. And, you know, I just, I love that scene. Mm. So I'm not inherently against the changes. You have to make changes to bring a book to the screen. Uh, but in The Hobbit, there were more changes that didn't work for me than right. there were in, in and some it of is, the films. It is a little, it is, it's definitely long too. It is long. It needed to lose, uh, it needed to lose the stone giants battle. Yeah, that possibly, was, that yeah, was too that much. was a real kind of, give me a break, Peter. I've been in this <laughs> cinema for two hours now. Let's just, you know, let's, let's get the eagles in and we can, we can all go home. Well, and part of that scene for me was like, um, it was sort of like, okay, well, that's just going to happen with, you know, it's Peter Jackson and it's like a big thing and whatever. Um, 
And yeah. the only part of the scene that really bugged me was that, you know, Bilbo slips, and then Thorin has to climb down there and, like, throw him back up, and then Thorin slips. And that's just, yes. that's where I was just like, okay, no, stop. That's Everybody. That's won't slip too many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And when I went to see it, we, we had 45 minutes of adverts in the cinema beforehand. So we were there for about three and a half hours. We were quite dedicated, exhausted coming out of it. <laughs> we went to the midnight premiere, and so, yeah, oh. with the previews and then stuff, we got home at, like, 4.30. Oh, and then it was goodness. a Thursday night. Oh. So then we have to, like, go to work and school. Or I don't... I, did you take the day off? I actually took the yeah. day off. And then I went yeah, to school. Yeah. And all my friends are like, you're either going to be really weird or you're going to be really hyper. And I don't know what to do. <laughs> it was... Yeah, you're always taking the day off, I think. I couldn't push through uh, after 4 o'clock all no, night. No, I would have had a hard time of it the next day, so... It was fun to go to the premiere because that's where the that's where the hardcore fans are. So there were people in costume, and and that was fun. People, you know, they'd be playing like um card and like dice games out on the um floor, sort of in front of the screen before um too many people got there, so they had to take their seats. Yeah. Yep. So it was it was a great atmosphere to see the film in, and uh, yeah. So I suppose we'll we'll be. We'll have to go back yep. to the midnight premiere when the next we're one gonna go comes to and... all of the midnight premieres. Yes, okay. we're, go- yep. we're going to. It's that a plan. Yeah, I'll be taking those days off again. The yeah, days. Write them off. You can't do anything after staying out till four. I no. think. No. <laughs> we should talk a little bit about your fan fiction and how much you've uh, done with that. Far too much. <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots. At least one novel. So um, yeah, just a lot out there. I don't. Um, I think it was Fellowship of the Ring. And um, I don't have a very visual imagination. I, I, I hear the voices rather than, you know, see the, see the images. Um, and when I went to see Flesh, I've loved Tolkien since I was a very little girl. And, you know, my dad read The Hobbit with me when I was very little. And then I, I got to Lord of the Rings. My dad was a great Tolkien fan. So um, it was a thing we did together. Um, and um, then when the movie came out and all these images just really stimulated my imagination. Uh, and... Um, I, I just got writing. I got very interested in the um, the family dynamics of the uh, the stewards, you know, Faramir, Boromir, and Denethor. I just got really interested in that. So, uh, did you not write uh, Middle Earth fan fiction until the, you saw the Peter Jackson film? Not until I saw the movie. No, no, I wouldn't have dreamt of it. No, oh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone near the precious holy book. No, I was terrified. <laughs> and then um, I think it was. Um, I think it was actually Sean Bean's performance because it's so, um, I'd never really been ir- interested in that character. He's not that well drawn in the book um, in many ways, but Sean Bean is so, um, it's so uh, uh, flawed and so human and so interesting. Yes. And that made the book come alive for me in a different way. Whereas I'd loved it for the drama and the epic and the, the, the way it all fit together. All of a sudden these characters became a lot more like, um, like characters in a way to me, people, yeah. uh, and and where there are people, there is there is storytelling. So uh, that's that's really why I started doing the fan fiction. And then I've written really quite a lot. I mean, I I, I did a novel about Faramir and Eowyn after their marriage, um, and wow. what, yeah, and that's all about post traumatic stress disorder because I thought they've probably got a bit of that going on. To be honest, you know, they've not they've not oh, had yeah. a great time. yeah. And, you think you know, about what they went through. Yeah, it, it yeah. really is astonishing. Killing the Witch King and you know trying to get nearly barbecued by your insane father—it's—it's going to leave a few scars. <laughs> I thought, well, that's clearly the basis of a 
fantastic marriage. So <laughs> they probably had some yeah. issues. <laughs> so, uh, and that's I, oh, we, I, I, I can't let the, that reference now you're go gonna, by. Yeah, now he's gonna. Yep. <laughs> without expressing my disappointment to Mr. Jackson. Oh, <laughs> with the bizarre way that he handled Denethor in the films oh, when he absolutely terrible <laughs> eliminating the Palantir. He yep. he runs across like two football fields to for some reason <laughs> dive off like a running bonfire. Yeah. And he runs like two football fields in a span of about five seconds yes. and then dives off the edge. But of course, they, they... for reasons unknown. It's hilarious because you've got this completely ridiculous thing happening and basically this little ball of fire that's plunging down. <laughs> yeah, but he's just sort of like, whoop. And... back to McKellen and with a complete straight face, he goes, Thus passes Denethor. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Absolutely. It, and it cracks me up every time. <laughs> it ruins that line. You can't I help know, but you laugh. Can't t- you just laugh. It's completely ridiculous. Oh, it's a disaster what they do with Denethor. He, he's such a great character, really stern and proud and interesting, and a, well, you yeah, know, a the, real uh, power and a rival for Aragorn. And you, you just get this um, cackling lunatic, really. That, yeah, you know, and because the, the actor is so fabulous he's a great actor yeah i thought that was great casting for denethor and it could be fixed so easily i mean all you'd have to do is cut out a couple of you know just a few seconds here and there and add in like a scream and a shot of the place burning and then that was like that'd be perfectly like touching and like everything yeah there's just a couple of moments where it goes a little bit too far where you know, like say the eating scene. Oh, I hate. When he's that. just like he's just like munching, I and mean, it's just like stuff yeah. like. And you would only have to take out a few seconds of you know snippets here and there in that scene to eliminate the 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 total lunacy of it, and then. But then Pippin, or is it? Then, is it? Yeah, it's Pippin. Sort of brings the, um, because Pippin's singing, so it sort yeah. of brings the tone of the ridiculousness. And down then, of a bit. course, all you would need is a couple lines of dialogue from Gandalf to insert that that he had a Palantir and that's why he was going around the bend. That's all you, you know, it would be so easy to fix. Yeah. Well, I do see, I do see the point of the eating scene though because they're trying to point out that he doesn't, he's, his son is going to war and he doesn't care. Um, yeah. At, like, at, at all but they did it was a weird way to well, do it's, it. Well, yeah, it's, it's And it's not... really clumsy imagery as well, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, you've got, you've got, it's like you've got blood on his hands from tearing the chicken and yeah, the triple yeah. of red yeah but it's, and yeah, it's so it's, stupid yeah it's not necessarily the concept of showing him eating mm-hmm. it's then it's the execution yeah and, yeah. and, and how far it's taken it, yeah it's like you almost wouldn't be surprised if it like if you had a shot of pippin singing and then if it cut back to Denethor, like, smearing food on his forehead, yes, or, it wouldn't doing, be that much more... Doing Mr. Know. Burns from The Simpsons, <laughs> kind of, you know, yeah, it's, cackling. It's, it's completely daft. Overdone. And it's like Jackson has lost faith in us in some way that we won't get that this is a bad thing that he's done. Peter Jackson is not what you would call subtle. No. <laughs> he's, and he has a tendency, I think, to be over the top, to really yeah. like hammers on something, and sometimes I, that helps. Sometimes, and sometimes it sometimes helps. It does. <laughs> and see, and I'm I'm a big fan of Peter. Far before the Lord of the Rings, I, I mean, yeah. I love his low budget, ridiculous, gory yeah, films that, that he was stuff. making as a kid. 
And those well, movies, does a good job those movies are incredibly over the top and ridiculous, but it fits the subject matter. Yeah. When he's doing a movie like Bad Taste, I think was the name of it. Yeah, it's not even trying to be subtle, is it? <laughs> no, I mean, it's this ridiculous alien, zombie, weird, whatever thing. And there's all these, you know, this ridiculous, over-the-top, gory effects with people's yeah. heads getting torn open and, you know, stuff splattering everywhere. And it fits what he's doing, and it's uh, enjoyable. Yeah. And the problem is, is that then when he's doing something much more refined, like Lord of the Rings, yeah. is that there's in there's still that little kid in him with the Super 8 camera. Going, what can I do? That's the ready that, to, yeah. The thing that sums this up for me is um, the mouth of Sauron. Now, um, the mouth of Sauron, so <laughs> yeah. far as I can tell, is like a... He's like the evil bureaucrat, you know, he's the guy that's the pen pusher that's, yes. uh, uh, you know, uh, signing people's death warrants, but, you know, isn't actually killing people. And they play it this way in the radio. They 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 make him a really kind of silky voiced ambassador. Mm-hmm. And Peter Jackson looks at this and goes, oh, mouth of Sauron, what will I have? I know, I'll have a massive mouth. <laughs> <that's> yeah. <laughs> and it completely misses the point. I really hate that scene as well, because um, uh, Aragorn beheads him, doesn't he? Yes. Um, and uh, this is in the extended edition. And um, you're kind of watching that going, well, actually, Aragorn, I think that's, um, I think that's violating international law. <laughs> <laughs> Not how you're meant to treat ambassadors. You're kind of, you can't just chop their heads off when they say something you don't like. So I think it really undermines Aragorn as well. Um, whereas, you know, he has that great line in the book, doesn't he? I am a herald and an ambassador and I may not be assailed. And Aragorn just lops his head off <laughs> in the film. So on every level, it kind of fails. And I, I love the mouth of Sauron. I love that encounter because you know that they're going to be, um, you know, if they lose, they're all going to be under the heel of this dreadful bureaucrat. And Peter Jackson just gives us a giant mouth. And it's yes. just completely the wrong reading and that's exactly it it's it's he's gone great i can do this great effect and everything and not give the subtlety of it um and, and we also get evil aragorn as well so um so lots of bad mistakes i think but denethor's definitely the worst the other thing that that uh, bothered me was the the whole sequence where aragorn goes over the cliff on the warg oh yeah and floats down the river semi miraculously and and then his horse finds him and, and then, then the, it seems like like a laurel and hardy thing where he's oh, like dreaming and then you think he's going to kiss the horse and then that is so awkward that he's dreaming of arwen while this the, horse is like licking the, his face that's just painful i know it's dreadful i don't know what they were thinking whether it uh, whether it was a joke or i i don't know you'd like to think that when they first sat down to watch some sort of rough cut and yeah. saw the way that played you would think that someone would have said oh wow yeah that, uh, that's, that, that doesn't, doesn't work, work. yeah but apparently no one did i mean i would have i would like to think that vigo vigo would have said peter no <laughs> <laughs> no no no, 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 no. Can't but, cut between uh, my girlfriend and a horse. That <laughs> is a really bad. Although I went to a Tolkien conference uh, earlier in this year, and um, one of the little facts that I got from it, which I didn't know, is that there are more named horses than there are named women in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I suppose there are. Which is a bit dispiriting, but you know. It's probably... Well, it's also like the time that the books were written in, so there's yeah. not very many. Yes. Female leads. Well, and that's why I really enjoyed most of what uh, Peter did to give the female characters more screen time to 
to yeah. balance that for a contemporary audience. That was a great decision on his part. That's that's what you have to do. The 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 one sort of saving factor for me for the novel is that although there are so few female characters, of those few, they are pivotal yeah. and powerful yeah. characters. Galadriel, Arwen, yeah. Eowyn. Yeah. I mean, they. I mean, Eowyn particularly, obviously, incredibly important to the overall storyline, and so. It's it's good that that those characters are so strong, and it, and it makes it that much easier than when you're trying to adapt it for a modern audience that you have these strong characters that you can yeah. just bring in a little bit more. And I'm assuming that's what the uh, Toriel. Hopefully, is. I'm really I'm really hoping that Toriel is going to be a fantastic character. Yeah, I because got, if I've, she I've is, fingers I'm... crossed. Yeah, it'll yeah. be brilliant, won't it? Yeah. And a really nice way of doing that whole sub-story about um, the tension between the elves and the dwarves. It's quite sweet to put a sort of uh, Romeo and Juliet relationship between an elf and a dwarf. I hope it's great. I hope she's really kind of uh, kick-ass and feisty and you know, really, really and funny. So I hope they get it right. I really. My only problem with Arwen in the, the film adaptation is they set her up as this... Um, as this kind of warrior thing, which I love in Fellowship. Uh, and then they kind of lose, they lose faith in it. They sort of, you know, it's it's all about her life fading away and this sort of thing. And I, yeah. I think they they lose control of that narrative. Um, but Toriel I've got high hopes for, yeah. Um, looking forward to that. I can't think of any more female characters that we're going to get, are we? That's about in it, the really. Hobbit, yeah. Are there any women in The Hobbit at all? In the novel, let's see, I, which I just reread recently, so... Uh, I mean, there really isn't uh, any significant uh, female character in there. So probably the spiders are female. That's about it. Yeah. Okay. All that I want to say at the moment is how awesome Vigo Mortensen actually is. Uh. He's so cool. <laughs> he he bought the horse that he worked with, and then um, yeah. Arwen's stunt double couldn't afford the horse that she had worked with, so Vigo bought the horse for her, and it's just oh, like he's so nice. <laughs> he really uh. is. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a very interesting guy. When you when you when you see him on interviews, yeah, he's just this very sort of quiet, very thoughtful, very. So he's like he's like a he's like a gentle like a true gentleman. Like what? Mm -hmm. Oh my, he's so awesome. He made this. I've seen pictures in their um trailer. He made this amazing collage of all these pictures during the yeah. like of their family and friends at home, and then of pictures they took during the shooting. Oh, it's just this amazing. Thing using the entire and coming up onto the ceiling and around the mirrors and like all over the place. It's it's amazing. It's and I like think that... constantly creative, isn't it? Because he's an artist as well, doesn't he? Paints, I think. I don't know. Does he? I or... believe so. And he he also takes yeah. photographs. Didn't he have lots of photographs that he uh, took during the, the films? Yeah. So I get the impression he was a really important because it looks like they had a fabulous time making it, but that he was pivotal. In making everybody feel like they were part of a part of a company, really a fellowship. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I think he's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, and didn't he kind of um, didn't he sort of really get into the part and and sleep outdoors and um, wouldn't take very, off his clothes? Yeah. yeah, he really really he acted. Got he acted so much like Aragorn that um, Peter Jackson would accidentally call him Aragorn in their conversations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Didn't he do something crazy like um, break a toe during an action scene? Yeah, um, in the scene where oh, he no, thinks no, um, Mary and Pippin is dead, they kept they had four shots, 
And yeah. each shot they did of him kicking the helmet, he got the helmet closer and closer to the camera. So Peter thought, well, this would look amazing if it just whoosh right over the camera. And yeah. so in that final thing where it does do that, he just like, and he falls down and screams. And that's because he broke two of his toes <laughs> while kicking the helmet. And he, didn't, he didn't say anything. He stayed yeah, in yeah, character. Until a long time after the scene. And the people are like, wait, you're, what? And then... It's just like no, any no. other, any lesser actor would have been like, oh, God, stop, I'm, oh, my God, my foot. And he's just like, ah, and this is amazing like, uh, performance. Like, what's his name with the splinter in his foot would have. Yeah. <laughs> um, was hobbits. that, which, it was either, it was. Um, Mary or Pippin. I think it was. Uh, have you watched, we're, we're talking about. The uh, extras. The extras on the DVDs, they have a lot of interviews <laughs> with the actors. I've seen some of them. I know about Sean Astin cutting his foot, but that was really oh, yeah. serious. Yeah, that um, was, yeah. One of well, the well, one of the I was either Mary or Pippin. I don't remember which one. While they were running to um, jump on the ferry, mm. um, they got a splinter, and then um, I don't. I wish I could remember um, which actor it was, but then they were just like sweating and just like serious, really serious. So like, oh my god, you guys, and just like freaking out. And this is gonna be, it's gonna be a, a whopper of a splinter. Just wait. And they take out this tiny, and he shows, and it's just this tiny little like splinter. And he's like, I'm, I'm framing this. I'm putting it on my wall. <laughs> and it's just like he acted so like, oh god, I'm hurt. Stop the. And it was just like the tiny splinter. That was funny though. Those two are great. Um, Don Monaghan and Billy Boyd are. Uh, secretly, we wish that they had been Frodo and Sam. We wish that uh, Billy Boyd had been Frodo <laughs> and Don Monaghan had been Sam. I think they would have done great performances. But they are so funny. They uh, Everything There's, they yeah. say is hilarious. They, they're such uh, a perfect Merry and Pippin, though, the way they look alike. That's true. And, uh, yeah, they they're, they're great. They're, they're real. They get hobbits really, really well, I think. They nail it. So, um yeah, and poor old Vigo is working on with a broken foot, basically. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's great. No, they're, they're good films. I do enjoy. I know we've I know we've really pulled them apart, but I do basically like them. I, I really love the visuals and the music. But uh, yeah, oh yeah, I love them. And uh, like with the Hobbit, I, I certainly have my issues with the first one, but I'm really waiting to see. And we still have to go see it again. Yes. And yeah. In IMAX 3D. Yeah, we didn't see it in 3D, so nice. it'd be interesting to see it in 3D and compare and contrast. But I'm really interested in seeing the entire thing before I really pass judgment on it. You know, it's going to be the the story as a whole that that deserves to be judged. And so even though, for me, there were some false steps in this first one, uh, he could still pull off the overall adaptation in a way that I find very satisfying. So I'm I'm trying to stay open-minded and just looking forward yeah. to what comes next. And uh... so long as he gets that whole episode, I love that episode with Beorn and the dwarves <laughs> turning up. It's one of my favorites in the book, and has been from when I was tiny. I love the humor. I just think it's really funny. I love it when he. I love when Bilbo wakes up and thinks he can hear a bear. And uh, then, you know, wakes up in the morning. Yeah, the yeah Bilbo keeps seeing, yeah. Yeah, I, I love all that. I always found it really, it's, uh, as a kid, it was simultaneously reassuring and scary. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and it's kind so, of scary that because he's he's such a character that would like it, that could get really angry at them. Yeah, um, but guys, he's also the, sort of like shadowing them and protecting them. It's Yeah, so guys, great. there's a bear on the loose, but it's all right. He's on our side. Yeah. You know? <laughs> 
So uh, I hope they get that right. I love that scene and um, uh, fingers crossed. I, I think it'll be good. And then I, I imagine we'll get extended edition DVDs. So, you know, yeah. that's <laughs> Oh, I <laughs> hope not. <laughs> We're afraid one, of I how they're going to um, portray uh, the, the sort of like dog servants. Because um, they sort of, because it mentions something about them walking on their hind legs. And so we're afraid it's going to be really, like, fantastic Mr. Fox, uh, like, cartoonish sort of stuff. Yeah, that yeah that's go. one of those things where it works very well in the original novel. But you're wondering, how are they going to approach it for a modern, serious film? Yeah. I'd yeah. completely forgotten about that. Is that in Bjorn's Hall? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I'd, God, I'd forgotten that. Yeah. No, no. Oh, I hope it. He, yeah, he'll make a big deal out of that. And there'll be a warg battle with the... Um, <laughs> oh, no, that's what my money's on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited to see Benedict Cumberbatch's smog. Oh my god. I told my dad he'd have to sit a seat away from me because I'll be fangirling so much yeah. that he would just like like strangle me because I'll just be sitting there like oh. Now isn't there a UFO connection with Benedict Cumberbatch? Isn't his mother Wanda Ventham? Isn't she in UFO? I do not know. I am not recognizing the name. It's been uh wow, I'm gonna have my, to look at it. My that memory up. might be wrong. Cut that bit out if that's not true. <laughs> But his his mother is an actress, and and I'm sure she was in UFO. Interesting. Uh, she's beautiful. She she's got his you know his um his lovely sort of grey blue eyes. Yes, uh, I do know that. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you may have noticed. Them, but, uh, so she's got them as well, and kind of the same shape of the face. But he's you know is is she's beautiful, really gorgeous, kind of sixties uh, blonde, and uh, and he looks just like her, only you know a bloke. Um, so, uh, so look um, that up. Check I'll that out. So I'm sure she's up. in UFO. Yeah. Um, so, what do I think of Sherlock? Um, yeah, I I really like it. I um I don't think there's enough Martin Freeman in it. Uh, I think Watson gets a bit sidelined, and I, I I'm I'm actually a bit more of a Martin Freeman fan. I think he's um I I just think he's sweet. So um and, and obviously Benedict is is you're happy to look at him and watch him on screen at least. <laughs> um, but um. So I yeah I kind of enjoy Sherlock. I sometimes find the episodes a bit long. I'm not sure they I'm not sure they sustain ninety minutes, and I, I might be happier with with hour longs. It's really stylish. It's really clever. Uh, it's a yeah. lot of fun. Um, did you guys uh, you guys watch the Jeremy Brett one? Didn't you? You you went and watched oh, a load yeah. of yeah yeah. I mean I I really love those 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 really yeah, are Jeremy Brett's fantastic too. And both yeah. the thing with both Jeremy Brett and um, Benedict is that they both appear like the character that Arthur Conan Doyle described so yeah. much that with the tall and the sort of like very very thin and like long especially with Jeremy Brett and the long fingers and the like especially um and then Benedict Cumberbatch with his like long face and then yeah all this and the boredom and the frustration yeah being cleverer than everyone around you and yes. not being allowed to be rude to them but forgetting to do that sometimes and, I love um, the texting thing it's so perfect yeah that was a really really clever device I thought it's um no it's a good it's a good show Sherlock I, I think that I think like I said I'm not just I'm not just saying because I like Martin Freeman I don't think they quite make enough use of Watson and Watson is essential to Holmes for me it's it's as much about Watson as it is Holmes and they've set up something quite interesting making him a uh, it, basically taking Watson's backstory and just plonking it in in contemporary and it's amazing how well it works you know there's always a war in Afghanistan for Paul Watson to have been wounded in it's yes quite yeah that's yeah. one thing that I've found like you said it's it's clever the way mm-hmm. that they've taken those elements 
original story elements and found ways to use them in the modern setting. It's just really very smart, smart writing. And, yeah. uh, and the, the casting is great. Martin Freeman is great. And the, I, yeah, I would like to see more of him as well because he's very good casting for Watson. And the fact that they're then playing against each other in The Hobbit is really amusing. Oh, so, I'm so <laughs> excited. I mean, it's going to be brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. The very idea. Just just, gone mad. Yeah. yeah. But just, just imagine if a few years ago, someone had come up to you and said, in the future, <laughs> there will be a new Sherlock TV show and there will be a new Hobbit movie. <laughs> and Watson and Sherlock are going to play Bilbo and Smog. You, you, would, you would think that person had gone completely around the bend, that there <laughs> yeah. was no way that that could it's ever happen. So perfect. And yet... Isn't he the necromancer as well? Benedict. Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch is yeah. the necromancer. Yeah. He's so the he's so perfect for all of the roles he's had lately. He's just like the like like right on. Yeah, he, he's really really good. He just did a really high profile period drama in Britain um, called Parade's End, uh, and he's fantastic in that. He's very buttoned up. He's playing a sort of um, guy who ends up. Uh, he's a statistician who ends up in the trenches in World War One. And he's really buttoned up and stiff up a lip. And uh, it's, a, it's a really good performance. It's a bit of a mixed show, but um, he's, he's, he's great in it. He's the lead. And um, his wife is played by an actress called Rebecca Hall. And the character she plays is one of the kind of great evil women of literature. So it's worth <laughs> seeing it for her. She's great. It's like a Kai Wynn, but young. And, and... <laughs> Did you see by any chance uh, the Frankenstein adaptation that Benedict was in? With uh, oh, the other Sherlock John, guy, Johnny Lee Miller. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. Um, a friend of mine saw it and uh, and really rated it. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't actually because I I love Frankenstein. I really love the book. Oh uh, yeah, I'm a huge uh, huge Frankenstein fan. So I'm really interested in seeing it. And I believe it is going to be released on uh, DVD. I hope so. Yeah, what they were doing because it was at the National Theatre, wasn't it? And what they've been doing is recording performances that you could. Um, so I could go and see it in my local uh, theatre, yeah. um, like my local cinema. Um, and um, so they've definitely got recordings of the performance. And I hope they'll do it because they were swapping the, the roles, weren't they? Yes. And what um, I read was that the release would be both. Yeah. And so you'd get to watch it with them, you know, playing the, the, the reverse parts. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. It got great reviews, uh, and a, a friend of mine saw it. I think she's—I can't remember which way she saw it, but she kind of wished she'd seen the other way round. I don't ah. know. Um, yeah, I—I uh, I think I'd like to see Cumberbatch do the monster. Um, I think that would be very good. I yeah. think that he would be perfect in both roles. The yeah. other guy, I think, would be better as Frankenstein, Frankenstein and not as impressive as the creature. I can't remember what Johnny Lee Miller has been in. I don't know what I've seen him in. I think Gorbagast or something. Yeah, I've only seen him in the, in this new uh, Sherlock Holmes adaptation that he's doing here in the states. Yeah, Elementary. Ah, uh, okay, which I've not seen. I I've don't seen like it. It's uh, yeah, we we both were pretty uh, <laughs> uh, down on it. It well, you yeah. were like you saw one of the later episodes and you were like, "This is kind of getting better," and I was like, "Nope." Yeah. <laughs> the later episode I saw was better than the previous episodes, <laughs> but the thing is, is that. That's not really saying that much because those <laughs> previous episodes were so disappointing that it was very easy to, you know, yeah, get a little bit better. Merely, this was merely bad as opposed yes. to... <laughs> yeah. They changed too much. 
Yeah. And it just ends up being this strange little echo of Sherlock Holmes. And if they took that show and switched out all the names, it might come across as a better show. Yeah, kind of. And and you would recognize that it was like Holmes and Watson and kind of based on that. You really, really do need to watch the Christmas Doctor Who. It's it it rewards you for being Sherlock fans. Oh. So I, I think nice. you I mean, just go and watch it now. <laughs> what well, else maybe are you we gonna will. do this morning? I think at this point we should probably let you go. Yeah. I so I could stay on all evening, but <laughs> I think Matthew would uh, have words with me, but uh, oh, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thanks so much, guys. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, us as well? Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It was great to see you and talk with you again. Great to see you both. You guys take care. Have a brilliant Saturday. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Before we go, we need to point out that Una was absolutely right. Benedict Cumberbatch's mum, Wanda Ventum, was indeed on UFO. She played Colonel Virginia Lake and made her first appearance in the very first episode of the show. Tune in next month for Episode 7, King Geek, wherein we shall discuss three King Kong films, the 1933 original, the 1976 remake that introduced Jessica Lange, and Peter Jackson's 2005 extravaganza. Plus, we'll talk about the Xbox game based on Jackson's film and any other King Kong-related movies we happen to uh, reference. Remember that Generations Geek is a part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts from Skull Island. Please give their other fine podcasts a listen at chronicrift.com. And please follow Generations Geek on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and check out our website at generationsgeek.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next time. No geeks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Ooh, shiny.